Welcome to the Once Upon a Leader in Africa podcast with George Nudu. We invite you to listen to influencers and opinion shapers narrating their experiences from their leadership roles in Africa, from the world of business, community development, government, corporate, social enterprise, among others. We will glean from their good, bad and ugly side of their leadership journey and be inspired to overcome adversity, to pursue success against all odds, to be a great leader and many other lessons. Welcome to the podcast and here's George Nudu. Hi Alex, how are you? I'm very well, George. Yeah, it's a pleasure to connect via this channel. Yeah, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. I've been looking forward to hearing your leadership story. So welcome. And uh, I believe we'll have a good time just hearing how your journey has been as a leader. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, likewise, it's a great honor to, to be able to share my story. I have listened to several leaders in your podcast share their story. Uh, so I'm honored that you would reach out and uh, allow me to share a bit of my story. Okay, thank you very much. So just to begin with, who is Alex? Well, Alex is uh, a Kenyan, <laughs> born and bred in Kenya, I am a born-again Christian as well. And um, yeah, I come from a family of four, so three girls and and then my mom. And so, yeah, and um, I am a humanitarian aid worker, development worker. I've been in this space for over 20 years, uh, but my, my career started off differently. Uh, so my BA was in communication. So uh, I did a BA in communication with a minor in business administration. So my, my dream and goal then was to work in radio and, uh, and just grow in that trajectory uh, in the media space. And I did. Uh, so my first job was actually in a radio station. So I edited promos, commercials, jingles, uh, monitored playlists, and then my career changed after a year. And looking back now, it seems it was God's doing, you know. Uh, but the interesting thing is that everything I did from a communication standpoint is still relevant to what I do uh, today. Uh, yeah, so that's that's a little bit about me. Maybe to add, um, I am a student of sustainability and uh, I really enjoy thinking around sustainable solutions to some of the very complex and challenging problems that we face. And then, of course, you know, we know the world uh, is uh, currently undergoing a climate crisis. So that for me is also a, an area of interest, both academically and, and personally. Thank you very much for that. So in terms of your current leadership role, what is it? So my current leadership role uh, is, is with an NGO, an international NGO uh, in Kenya uh, known as Food for the Hungry or FH uh, to, to keep it short. And um, I uh, currently serve as the country director for Kenya. So I lead a team of uh, about 95 staff to design, develop, and deliver catalytic solutions so that uh, children, families, and communities 
are resilient and flourish. And our work really is in the northern part of the country, in the Asal regions. We've been around for uh, close to 47 years uh, in Kenya. So we we work with communities to build resilience. And uh, even more now that climate change is, is, is affecting those regions more than others. Yeah, so so that's my current role. Um, I've had I've had different roles over the years. Uh, so before this, I was program director for the same organization. And then uh, prior to that, uh, I, I was a regional coordinator. So I worked in a regional office for the same organization and mostly supported the regional director with operational aspects and communication around uh, the region. So I tra- traveled quite a bit within within the Africa region. And then I've held other roles that have all informed where, where I am right now. So yeah. what are those other roles? Prior to joining FH, I worked for Samaritan's Pass for a number of years as well. Uh, so I started off, once I left Family Radio, I don't know if it's still called Family Radio, but it was Family Radio at the time. I, I joined Samaritan's Pass as logistics coordinator. So the role was basically for the South Sudan program. And this was way before the comprehensive peace agreement was signed in 2005. So it was in the early 2000s. South Sudan was still at war, was still separate from Sudan. No, was still one with Sudan, uh, but um, but uh, Juba was not accessible because it was under the control of, of Sudan. Um, so we conducted the operations for the South Sudan program from Nairobi and Lokichogyo. Uh, so I helped coordinate all that. And then a year later, uh, I got a promotion to be the operations manager for that team. So I, I, I did that for a number of years and then transitioned to the Kenya office to be the program manager uh, for, for, for the Kenya office for Samaritan's Pass. And there I handled partnerships uh, for the organization. So just we had partners all over the country. So ma- basically making sure they have what they need to deliver what they need to deliver. And then after that is when I joined FH as, as regional coordinator. So you've been in that, that has been your space, the development world, huh? Yeah, that, that has been my space for the past 20 years. Yeah, like I said, I just did radio for a year and it was nice because I was straight out of campus doing what I studied, you know, and, and learning, learning along and then now moved to the development space. SP is more relief oriented. FH is both relief and, and development oriented. I'm curious, you know, you when you're describing your role, you said in your current organization, you do you have catalytic solutions or something to yes. that effect. Just expound that a little more. Yeah. So that's it's just another way of thinking about problems. We try, I mean, we, we've not fully explored this, but we try uh, make it, using a system approach to solve issues. For example, water is a scarce commodity in the Asal regions. So uh, it has been like that and will continue to be like that for a long time. So one way you could address the issue is just uh, sink a number of boreholes and, uh, and um, you know, make sure they are up and running. But that does not 
solve the problem in the long run. You need to think about everything else happening around that water system uh, in order to make it run for a longer time. And those a type of catalytic solutions. So one of the things we've done is uh, making sure like the abstraction of the water is not is well managed. And uh, for that, we've supported the policy environment, helping design the policy uh, for, for Marsabit uh, along with the county government, hand in hand with the county government and the bills and regulations that go with that so that that structure is in place to help in the future. And then at the water point, you know, it's about the governance of the water point. And we look at different things, the abstraction of the water. So moving from gensets, for example, to more solarized uh, pumping systems, uh, but also making sure that the communities managing the water have the tools they need to manage it well. So we have, for example, installed uh, water ATMs, uh, some people call them prepaid water meters, uh, in these rural water points. And I've seen them just change how water is managed. You know, I would go to, to some water points and, you know, guys would be queuing for eight to 10 hours just to get a few jerry cans of water. But, you know, with, with a, a water ATM installed, they are able to get water at any time. The queues just go away. And that frees up time uh, for women to do whatever they need to do at home, for men to do what they need to do, and then also for the revenue collection to be more transparent and accountable, you know, because uh, it's just a critical piece of how that water point is managed. So when I refer to catalytic solutions, that's one, you know, of them, you know, how, how do we look at problems and how do we try solve them sustainably? And that's important because without that, you can bring a water point, but now it creates more tension. Exactly. And conflict, yeah. you know, and suppression. So really yeah. being very systematic about that. That's, that's good yeah. to note. Yeah. So looking back, Alex. Yes. Which was your first leadership responsibility? The leadership uh, competencies that I have now uh, started at a very formative age. So I always remember being very curious and asking a lot of questions. So I would, I would uh, join my dad on his many things that he was doing uh, at a very young age and um, would be in the vehicle and I'd be asking uh, why did that person throw that thing out of the car, you know, and he'd try and tell me it's not the right thing to do, you know, and so on. So this right, I don't, maybe let me use the word wrong, uh, but you get what I'm saying, like, like good and bad started forming in my mind, you know, in terms of how, how should we do things, you know, and why is it, why is it important to do things that way. So that's those types of things started uh, very early on in my life. And now as I grow old, I know things are a lot more gray, but there is right and wrong, you know. Then unfortunately I lost my dad at a very young age, but uh, I, my mom like held the fort and I observed a lot of uh, resilience from her. And it's formed part of my journey uh, in this leadership journey. So, so she was uh, trying to raise the four of us on a teacher's salary. And, you know, we, we never lacked uh, at home. You know, I saw her go the extra mile to, to just make sure we are comfortable and we don't feel 
the loss, you know, uh, as much. So, so that that also um, uh, shaped who I am, you know, as a person in terms of just being resilient against life, you know, and and life's life storms and leadership uh, challenges, you know, uh, so they require resilience. But my first responsibility uh, was from my dad's friend, my dad's closest friend who took on a father figure role after my dad passed away. So I would go to his place over the holidays and, um, you know, he had a son who was my age. So our responsibility was to hard goats, as many boys would do back then. <laughs> so we would do that. We would hard, hard the goats, but uh, we were also young and playful. And uh, there's this one time we, we lost... <laughs> We lost a few goats and, uh, you know, we, I don't know what happened. I think we just got into stories or, you know, doing boy things and, and the goats got lost and uh, uh, we tried to look for them. But um, eventually we went back home and, and reported that uh, uh, we've come back. There are some goats, but, but we don't know where the others are. So we thought we'd be let off the hook and maybe look for the goats the next day. But uh, my uncle was like, we are going to look for the goats now. <laughs> and it was getting late. Uh, so we are out there, you know, uh, in the bush with gumboots. It started raining uh, with torches because it's the village. So it's pitch dark. And we went around with him and, you know, uh, looking for the goats, eventually found them. Uh, and then, you know, went back home. And this this now um, was my first lesson on responsibility and accountability. Like if you're in charge of something or you're given an opportunity to be in charge of anything, big or small, uh, then you are responsible and you are accountable for what is under your care. So that's my clearest memory of uh, my leadership responsibility. And of course, there have been many others uh, along the way. But then, where did you find the goods? In the bush. Um, so the area is in Element Taita. So, so we would, because there's a lot of open spaces, we would move the goats from pasture to pasture. And some of them wandered away in, in one of the big farms uh, that are there. So that's where we went looking for them and luckily found them. Yeah. Wow, the goats must have been happy to see you guys. <laughs> uh, well, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You've talked about resilience, responsibility, curiosity, and some of the traits yeah. of a leader. Yeah. For you, what have you exercised just from your background? And you had earlier said, you know, from every responsibility, there are certain things that have shaped you. Yeah. So if you are to kind of break down, the traits yeah. that have helped you succeed as a leader, what would they be? Yeah, those those three are definitely uh, there. In terms of resilience, I'm sure you know, speaking with the various leaders that that have been uh, that you have spoken with, uh, it's tough, it's challenging. You know, you you have to imagine the future of an organization and uh, and uh, try to figure out, okay, where am I taking things, you know, and what kind of team do I want to build? I'm really big on teams because they, they are, with the right environment, they can do more than you can ever imagine. So that resilience is, is really important uh, when you face headwinds, you know, uh, as a leader. Uh, sometimes uh, funding, you know, like in our NGO space, uh, funding is not as easy 
to come by uh, just because of various things. Um, and, you know, you, you'd be writing proposals and none of them are getting funded. But do you stop? You know, you can't stop. You keep going. Or you're trying to solve issues in, in, in a community and you, it, there are no, sometimes there are no quick fixes. You know, you just have to play the long game, you know. So, and uh, you have to uh, learn from what you're doing, you know, and take the feedback that some of the things that you're doing are not actually helping the community move in the right direction, and then you change course. So that that resilience, uh, I think, is 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 very very core to my role right now. And then, of course, responsibility. I do feel a great sense of responsibility for for the type of work that we do, and I think that's that's a good thing for a leader to have. You know, of course, I'm very clear that. I can't do everything, solve everything, but I do feel responsible for making sure that this community, this family, this child has a clear pathway out of poverty uh, and a chance to succeed. So that becomes a driving force and informs everything operationally. So like with my team, our mindset uh, is is very results driven. You know, uh, we want to see uh, things happen. We measure what we are doing in terms of raising money. Uh, are we delivering on our programs uh, as we promised? Uh, but the the focus is the, the people we are serving and making sure that our objective is achieved. That is, you know, they have solutions uh, that that move them out of poverty. And I like what you're saying. That sense of responsibility, because I think many leaders or a good portion of leaders care more about the reputation, the position, the power, the packs, yeah. privileges. Okay, that's yeah. what they consume them. But in terms of forgetting the responsibilities, you know, so it's good, it's good to hear that. Looking at your journey, what have been some of the memorable moments you've had in your leadership journey? So when I when I started working for the Kenya program, uh, I had very little knowledge about the Asal regions of Kenya. So my first visit, for example, to Marsabit was in 2011, 2012. Before that, I'd been nowhere near Isiolo. Um, but when when I when I got there, you know, I saw a different world. You know, um, cut off from many basic things that we know. Um, so so uh, water is one of them, you know, just access to water. It's a basic human right. We were trying to um, figure out how to make sure access to water is equitable and, um, and uh, as easy to access as it should be for anyone as a Kenyan citizen. So, so we, we introduced uh, this idea of the water ATMs um, and I, I mentioned it earlier. But the picture in my mind is a water point with just hundreds of jerrycans spread all over the place with people waiting in queue uh, just to get a few jerrycans of water. And um, I just wanted to see that picture change. So we started this process of engaging the water committee, the county, about introducing this new technology that would really uh, change that situation that I was seeing. Uh, and it was difficult, you know, there is politics around the management of water and uh, and we had to uh, 
uh, just navigate that and stay the course and make the case for uh, introducing this technology. So uh, we eventually did. Uh, it involved six to nine months of just engagement uh, before we installed uh, the very first one. But after we did, and people saw the, the impact uh, that it's had on revenue collection, on women's time savings, on general management of the water point, uh, that that has been adopted across Marsabit County and, of course, many other counties. So that, for me, is is a memorable, you know, experience of of leadership. The other is um, we do also work with groups of women uh, to form savings groups uh, or self help groups. People call them different things, and there are different models uh, that that uh, that can be used to form savings groups. Um, one of them uh, that we use uh, does not give capital. Uh, we just help people see the value and the potential that they have, the value of the social capital that they can have and the potential that, that they can have. So we have formed uh, over 240 of these groups uh, across the uh, areas where we work. And I have visited them and just listening to the stories of change, you know, uh, that have come out of that. And I'm not talking about like guys who are well to do, had some money in their pocket and and could, you know, um, could save. Uh, but they were at zero, probably in debt with a local uh, kiosk. Uh, but but with just engagement and starting to save 20 bob, 50 bob, 100 bob every week. Some groups have have millions in their accounts uh, right now, and you know, I was um, I was in in Marsabit uh, in March uh, earlier this year, uh, speaking to some of them, uh, and you know, we were we were undergoing the worst drought in forty years, and uh, this 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 group of women, and there are some men as well, were resilient throughout the drought. You know, they opened restaurants, there some had butcheries, some had shops, uh, and they weathered uh, the drought. So thinking of, 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 of that, uh, to me, is, is memorable uh, and makes the leadership journey worth it. Indeed, it's worth it. And, you know, as you're speaking, and I can just imagine what you go through, because where you work and how you work is impacting people. And it's impacting communities and it's transforming. So I can imagine that's quite exciting. That's quite exciting. It is. It's exciting. Okay. And of course, you know, it takes it takes a team to be able to deliver that. To do that. You know, yeah. Yeah, you keep talking about team. Tell me your belief of teams. <laughs> just tell me, just expand that a little, a little more. That's what I'd like to hear as a leader. Yeah. It's something that has grown over time. You know, I've always, when I've had leadership roles, I've I've worked with a group of people, uh, but never fully conceptualized that this is a team and this is how a team should work. But as I've grown in my leadership journey, I realize that one, there are complex problems in the world, and uh, whatever sector you are in, you're trying to solve one of those problems. So, in your leadership capacity. You need people around you that see things differently that can help you address those problems you're trying to address. And that's where the team comes in. And from an organization standpoint, the teams are what 
help shape the culture of the organization, which is also very core to what you're trying to, to achieve and deliver, um, uh, along with the mindsets. I really invest a lot of time in creating the environment for teams to thrive um, and for people to be able to bring their best self to the organization in whatever role they are playing, whether they are in finance, uh, logistics procurement, HR uh, programs. So I believe in that diversity and value of, of teamwork uh, in being able to solve some of the complex issues uh, that we have in the world. So how do you do that? What are the things that you do to create that, that environment? That environment? Yeah. I really think it starts with me as a leader, how I paint the picture of what we are trying to do and, you know, the, the vision, what are we trying to achieve? Uh, but also, like I mentioned, the, the environment. And I, I'm a strong believer that the workplace should be a place of joy and fun uh, because we spent a lot of time awake in the workplace, you know, <laughs> so, 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 um, but also um, uh, uh, along with that is the results that we need to achieve and deliver. So the two can coexist. Um, so I, I try to create an environment that's um, um, friendly, uh, approachable. And um, if, if someone uh, makes a mistake that you're not castigated for it, that it's a learning point and um, the aim is to do better the next time, you know. So um, I'm also very apolitical. I know you can't avoid politics, but I try to create an environment that is, is just easy to work in, you know, uh, in the best way that I, that I can. And what that means is regular connections, you know, um, short, short meetings, but very purposeful, spending a lot of time with people, listening to what is what challenges they are facing and trying to figure out how I can address them, uh, how I can resolve issues that are there in the organization. And also just learning, you know, and, and getting, getting to learn more about what people bring, because people are gifted and and talented, you know, and uh, I, I think it's my job to draw that out, you know, in the best way that I can. Oh, well, well said. What or who has influenced you to have that approach of leadership? I think several bosses along the way, uh, several supervisors along the way. I remember one in my first job at, at, at SP, he was the most approachable human boss uh, I think I've had. And, and that, I guess something clicked there. I was like, oh, so you can, you can lead uh, and obviously be the leader of a, of a team, but also be as human as possible and care for people and identify uh, with people in the way that you can. So I think I think that really influenced and shaped and shaped my view of uh, what leadership can be. It can be relational, you know. So so yeah. So I think I've developed it over over time with several you know supervisors, and most most have been relational. You know, uh, the supervisors who have been relational uh, have really helped 
me uh, get that team idea as part of my leadership work. How do you keep your leadership edge sharp? Listening. I listen. I It's a muscle I'm, I'm continually developing. I can't say uh, like I'm fully there, but uh, I, I take time to listen. You know, uh, listen to, to things and uh, not make rush decisions. Sometimes things come to your desk and the easiest thing is to this, that. Uh, sometimes that's needed, but other times I take time to to just listen uh, and hear different perspectives because then you're able to make a good decision. Yeah. And then also beyond listening to like my team is also listening to other leaders like I've done in your podcast and other leadership podcasts. I find the lonely space of leadership is kind of filled, you know, with when you listen to other leaders and some of the challenges that that they go through. And then, of course, reading uh, reading books. It's, sometimes it gets so busy, so I don't <laughs> I don't have a chance to to read as much as I can. Uh, but but yeah, those are some of the things I do to to keep my edge sharp. And from a faith perspective, for me, I really keep God central uh, in in everything I'm I'm trying to do and pick my cues of leadership from from Christ, the ultimate leader that we saw. So and and that that means the Bible becomes a reference point, you know, for for some of the challenges I face as a leader and also sharpen sharpening me as a leader, but also prayer. You know, and prayer for me has become just something that is so close because I do recognize my limitations, you know, and that with the best data, with the best uh, facts that I have on the table, I cannot see around the curve. And uh, and and that, that's where I hugely depend on God to help me address uh, what I need to address or, or to give me discernment, you know, or when I'm facing, you know, a, a difficult decision. Talking about decisions, which is one of your most bestest decisions you've ever made? I'll give one. I don't know if it's the best, but I'll give one. When I joined FH, I mentioned earlier, uh, I had a different role, you know. So I was working in a regional office. I traveled quite a bit and uh, I, you know, I did both operational roles and communications roles. And I, you know, I had the qualities to lead, but I was not on the path, you know, to help me move in the right direction, especially like in the sector. So I was, I was, I was doing things, my planning, organization, coordination skills were obvious uh, but I was not on the path, you know, looking back now, you know. So I did two, uh, they're called temporary duty assignments in Rwanda and Uganda that were very uh, program management focused. Um, and after that, my boss, and I thank him for this, uh, asked me if I would consider uh, moving, you know, to a program management role. And um, that saying yes to that, and going through the process uh, was, I think, one of the best decisions I've made recently. Otherwise, I would not be where I am now, you know. And it was it was a good decision, but it was also risky 
because it's I'm somewhere in the in in my career, so I'm shifting gears midstream. But I also had a lot to learn of things that I did not know. But I I took the challenge. Uh, it was a steep learning curve but it's really helped me along my leadership journey. And I find myself where I am today because of that decision uh, I made back then. All right. Congrats for taking that risk. Yeah. <laughs> There's a leap yeah, of faith. Eh? It really was. It really was. Yeah. 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 So using an image, a metaphor, picture, how would you describe your leadership using these symbols? I would use an image of a sheep in the sea. And guys often say, you know, captain of the ship and you'll steer the ship to where it needs to go. Uh, But really for that ship to move, uh, there's a lot of things happening. You need crew uh, who are looking at things that you can't look at and getting information to you to be able to steer the ship. You need the ship to be working well, the workings of the ship, the engine, the radar, the hub, the sails, if you have sails, even if it's a small boat, the motor or the paddles, you need all those to be working well. So for you to be able to actually steer the ship. And then there's the external environment, and that's the sea and the winds and everything else around you that you also need to be monitoring in order for you to to steer the ship well. So that for me is the image that comes to mind when I think of leadership. And yes, you are the captain of the ship, uh, but you you, you need so much more uh, to be able to help you to steer the ship in the direction that it needs to go. Yeah. You said you, I think you were exposed in some of the assignments in Rwanda and Uganda. Mm-hmm. And then being in Kenya, you talked about you know engaging uh, county governments with that water project and all that. Looking at Africa and and where we need to be, what kind of leadership can you say we need to achieve the potential within us as Africans? I think we need courageous leaders. We need we need to to find the courage. Uh, to be who we are as Africans. I think we have a lot of good going on with us in Africa. And I've been lucky, you know, to to visit so many African countries, uh, not just in the capitals, but like in the, deep in the communities, in the heart of Congo, in South Sudan, Mozambique, uh, South Africa, Uganda, Rwanda, different places. Um, I've been lucky to, to go beyond the capitals and go deep and try and understand our psyche as Africans. And I think I think we have something good going on uh, and we should be courageous to just be ourselves. I look at the social structures in some of this area. They're so organized and caring. Uh, people know how to, uh, for the most part, care for their environment, for example. I think the the idea of modernity, and this is an unpopular opinion, <laughs> I think the idea of modernity has really clouded our view of of leader of 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 being African and how we can make Africa great, you know, because we look at that picture of modernity and say, okay, maybe that's what we want to strive towards. 
but is it really? I don't know. I have a question mark. Like, I think the values that we have as a society, uh, as communities, are really the core and they are rich, you know, uh, from time immemorial. So when I when I talk of courage, I think what I'm trying to get to is being comfortable in who we are, you know, as, as African societies and harnessing that to create the futures that we want, you know, uh, as, as societies. So, so I think we need courageous leaders. We also need, I think we have forward-thinking leaders and we need more of that. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm leaning more to our future. Like, what do we want us as Africans? How do we want it to look like for our children and our children's children? You know, um, so, so I, think, um, I, think, I think with that, we can, we can make steps, you know, in the, in the right direction. Yeah. And, and I agree with you, you know, yeah, modernism is good, but are we sacrificing key things for us on its altar and forgetting it? You know, so yeah. a good uh, view right there. If you are to be sitting down with a young graduate who's just left the campus, remember when you left campus and joined family radio, and this 20-something guy is looking at you and saying, Alex, I listened to your story. What do I need to do now to get to where you are or even beyond where you are? What would you yeah. tell them? I would tell them there are no shortcuts to, to, to this leadership journey or to any journey. Like it's hard work, uh, it's, it's blood, sweat and tears, and it's also rewarding, you know, but with that, consistency is key. Being consistent with your words and your actions because people are watching and it's not just say, 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 but they are watching uh, what you do. So I'd say, I'd say consistency uh, is, 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 a, is a key part of that. And then not being afraid to push the envelope and to innovate and to find new solutions to old problems you know you know there's that saying like it goes along like you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that was used to create that problem so innovation and being open to trying out new things is some is some of the advice i would give and then of course have a learning posture learn and always seek to learn uh, we don't know everything. We will never know everything. And there are people who are better than us. So the key thing is to bring that out. Practice humility uh, and then have a mindset of growth. So those are some of the things that uh, I would say. Great. No, good nuggets there. Yeah. So even as we are winding up our storytelling yeah. of you, your journey, What's the moral of your story? Yeah, the moral of my story is leadership happens at different levels, you know, and whatever is assigned to you, that's your place of leadership. And you are responsible for that. God has put you responsible for that. So lead well, lead the best way that you can. But also, leadership also has levels. And to whom much is given, much is also required. So there are different levels of leadership, and that comes with increasing responsibility. 
uh, and accountability. So that that would be my moral uh, of, of the leadership story. But ultimately, I think keeping Christ central, and I say this as a believer, and uh, asking him to guide your journey, to me, is the core of it all. Because, you know, I always try to keep eternity in focus. You know, there is more. And uh, our job, our duty is to help people towards that path uh, to eternity with Christ when all is said and done. Talk about eternity going forward. Question, what about your legacy? What, what, when you think of your legacy, what is it? It's that I led with love. Yeah, as simple as that. Wow, that's impactful. Led with love. Final thoughts before we say goodbye. One is thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, share a bit about my story. I truly, truly appreciate and I'm honored to be able to share what I've shared. And to all the leaders out there, be encouraged. Uh, what you're doing is making a mark beyond yourself for generations to come. And, you know, I keep remembering this quote that we do not inherit the world from our ancestors, but we borrow it from our children. Yeah. So, and I, I paraphrased it, but, you know, yeah. uh, so we're we are trying to make it better for those who will come uh, after us. Thank you for sharing that quote, because even as you are talking, it had come to my mind, you know, during this. Thank you for quoting it. So we are together yeah. on that. Definitely, we have borrowed. Yes. Uh, we borrowed from our future. So let's prepare it for them. Well, yes. Alex, thank you so much. It's been a great joy. Uh, it was really nice hearing your story and your journey. And the way you've just articulated your expertise and your experience and the lessons and the insights that we each can get from that. So thank you. Wishing you great success as you continue leading and God bless you for your good work. Thank you very much, George. And you're doing a great job collecting these stories. Keep at it. Thank you for joining us in today's podcast. We hope you're leaving with insights that will help you live and lead better. We appreciate our sponsors, BNG Consultants Limited and BNG Center for Leadership Coaching for keeping us on air. Bye for now. See you in our next episode.